Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to July 1st, the first day of a new month in the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good day because we have a good king. So my question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? How's he doing? How is our king doing, reigning and ruling over his universe. What do you think? Well, according to the economists, we have just entered a recession. Everything, at least here in the US, we've entered a recession. Maybe other nations would already be in a recession. If you uh, define recession by two quarters of negative growth, then uh, we're in a recession. Stock market has crashed. There's a war in Ukraine. The whole country here in the US seems to be going crazy? Is it all spinning out of control? Are we a leaderless people? Of course not. Of course not. He is a wise king. He's a good king. And he's been reigning for 2,000 years. And we trust that he has a plan and a purpose. And we're going to see that Isaiah predicted that he would have a plan and a purpose, and we can trust him. So glad you're with us on this Friday. Uh, I'm wondering, is are things working as they're supposed to? I It doesn't seem to me like uh, YouTube is, is working. Hello, Grateful. Can you hear me? Uh, are you, you're on YouTube, right? Uh, instead of Facebook. Did it come through for you? I'd be curious for uh, those of you who are watching Facebook, uh, YouTube, could you let me know whether or not this is coming through as it's supposed to because it looks to me like YouTube might be a little shaky. Anyway, I'm going to move on as though you're all getting it. So in Luke's gospel, in uh, chapter 11, uh, the Lord is being accused of driving out demons by uh, Beelzebub. Lon says, showing rewinding, stops and starts, grateful, says it's breaking up mostly for me. Yeah, I, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what to do. That's, that's on YouTube's end. So hopefully it'll clear up here in a moment. And as always, when this happens, uh, the video uh, should, uh, the replay should be good. So if it's just unbearable, then come back and watch it later. But maybe it'll clear up. So Luke 20, uh, if I ca uh, so Jesus is being accused of uh, driving out demons by Beelzebub. And Jesus, of course, says that's absurd. Uh, if, if, I, if I'm under the power or the authority of Satan and I'm driving out Satan's other demons, that's a divided kingdom. That's absurd. But he makes this comment in response. He says, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God then what? Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See what Jesus is asserting there? If the power that I have to cast out demons is from God, that means God's kingdom is here. And Jesus said this over and over again, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. When something is at hand, it's very close, right? You can reach out and almost touch it. That's how close it is if it's at hand. John the Baptist said this 
as Jesus appeared on the scene. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is near. It's right here at hand. Now, I think when they use the term kingdom of God, they are mostly referring to some things that Daniel prophesied. But this idea of kingdom is prevalent in Isaiah as well. And it's here in this passage that we are looking at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. So let me read those for you and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. All right, so I'm seeing that it gets stuck uh, Lon has a great suggestion there. Let's all pray. What happens? Yeah, okay, I'm as I switch over to YouTube here and refresh, uh, it keeps getting stuck. Well, so you all may have to come back and catch the, uh, the replay when I get done. But I'm going to move on and hope that it clears up. Okay, so uh, I'll just plan on you not having a lot of interaction with me this morning. So remember the context here. God has predicted great doom, gloom, darkness coming upon his people. He's going to bring a, a foreign nation to destroy them because of their wickedness. That's the Jews. They're going to be wiped out, but there will be a remnant. He says that darkness will not last forever. They will see light. Light will come. Those who live in darkness will see a great light. And when that happens, he says, at that time, God's going to multiply the nation. They won't stay a remnant. They will expand and they'll be glad and rejoice like when the harvest comes or when uh, soldiers have victory in war, they divide up the spoil. And God's going to break the yoke of that burden from their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor he's going to uh, destroy. And uh, the, the warriors will take their uniforms, their boots, and they will burn them and use them as fuel for their fire. All of that we, uh, we looked at yesterday. And the reason for this celebration and this rejoicing is because a child will be born. A son will be given. Now, yesterday we talked a lot about the, uh, the Jewish context. And, and I got into a little bit of how this could be looking forward to our day and uh, peace growing on earth and even a possible meaning of the, the weapons being turned into instruments of productivity and using the, the uniforms, burning them for fuel, that kind of thing. And one of the questions that's raised in this whole discussion, and Lon uh, brought it up yesterday, is, uh, is the fulfillment of these things, how literal to take these prophecies. And here's why we know it can't be, um, well, I hate to say 
not literal. That that means different things to little different people. But we, when when you put yourself in the Jewish mindset, right? When you read this as a Jew in Isaiah's day and in the the generations coming down from Isaiah, you think, okay, they're they are being ruled over by foreign kingdoms. Quite literally, Assyria is going to take the northern kingdom and they're going to make headway into the southern kingdom. And then Babylon will be the instrument of God to come and burn down Jerusalem, destroy the temple, take God's people into exile. So this is this is very real. This will happen for them in, in the, uh, the hundred years or so following Isaiah's prophecy. So that the city will actually be destroyed. Again, think of think of the city that you live in, and a soldier is coming. If you sort of just remove modern day weaponry and warfare for a minute, go back even to World War II era. Well, even before that, because we had planes then. But if you think about soldiers marching into your city and lighting homes on fire, uh, destroying the capital city, the capital building. Uh, the temple and and destroying your home and burning down the homes of all your friends and killing many many of the people that you know and then those who are not killed most of them carried off in humility um, you know stripped naked the men having their whole bodies shaved and marching you naked and and shaved for miles and miles to relocate you somewhere else. I mean, great devastation and humiliation. That's what happened. And now they're poor. They have no freedom. And it's darkness. It's gloom, right? That's the that's the reality of what's coming on uh, the, the the people of God. And it's in that context that he says, there will be light coming. And these, these people who are ruling over you, who are beating you, beating you into subjection and forcing you to do labor for them, someday the rod that they are using to strike you with, God will break those rods. And the heavy burden you're carrying, the yoke, uh, he's going to break the yoke and, and lift it off of your shoulders. That's going to happen and you will celebrate and you will rejoice and you will throw a party as though you've been waiting for food and now it's time to eat as though you were in battle and, and you had victory that will come. Now, here's the thing when it comes to interpreting this, did that ever happen for the Jews? If you know your history, again, Assyria, we talked about Assyria, we talked about Babylon, but then Babylon was defeated by the Medes and Persians. The Jews were not free under the rule of the Medes and Persians. Well, do you know who conquered the Medes and Persians? 
Alexander the Great. Right? He conquered everybody. <laughs> he, you know, in the mid-20s, he uh, sat down and wept. The, the story is told because there were no other kingdoms for him to conquer. That's a lot of conquering. The Jews were not freed by Alexander the Great. What happened to the Greek, uh, the Greek uh, Empire? The Romans, right? The Romans uh, came and, and overturned, overthrew the, uh, the Greek Empire. Did they free the Jews? Did the Jews throw a big party and celebrate their freedom? No. When Jesus shows up, the Jews are still under the thumb of Caesar. They're still under his rule. In fact, you remember those ominous, horrifying words the Jews declared when Jesus was on trial. We have no king but Caesar. This man is not our king. Crucify him. Away with him. We have no king but Caesar. So the Jews were under the rule of the Romans when Jesus showed up. So the question is, when did the Jews ever experience this release, this freedom, this rejoicing? They didn't. They didn't. I'm seeing some people uh, comment here. Uh, Paul says it's working. Jenna says it's buffering off and on. Sherry says Facebook is messed up too. Um, yep, looks like it's just not working for you all. I apologize. I wish there was something I could do about it, but uh, hopefully it, the replay will be up uh, for you uh, soon when I get done. Okay, so the point is this prophecy has not, did not come to pass literally for the Jews. In fact, as we have looked at in other series, Jesus predicted the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD when the Romans would burn down the city again, burn down the temple again, and the Israelites would be displaced from their homeland. And they were, for the most part, until 1948. Right, almost 2,000 years. And even now, they are, they're free, they're independent, uh, but they're certainly not experiencing the, uh, the blessing and the promises. So all of that leads us to the point that, that you probably already know. We, know. we know this. That this prediction is not literal for the nation of Israel. We know that the child has been born. We know the son has been given. But what Jesus taught us and what his apostles taught us was the plan was bigger than a national kingdom for the Israelites. It was of a different kind. When Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom of God is upon you, and I'm proving that by driving out the demons and doing all the miracles and giving sight to the blind and all those things, then we take him seriously and he says, the kingdom of God is not the kind of thing where you can look and point and say, look, there it is. It's over there. 
That's what Jesus taught. The kingdom of God is not coming with the signs and things that indicate an earthly military conquering. So I think that addresses kind of what Paul uh, Lon was was raising yesterday about the the what we call sort of the spiritual kingdom that kind of thing. So we understand that now. So how does that apply to the rest of what Isaiah nine here gets at? Uh, we know who the son is. That's Jesus. He's the child born. By the way, the son here is probably not so much a reference to son of God as to the son of David. That's how the Jews would have interpreted this, at least. Uh, remember, David was promised he would always have a son seated on the throne. And that's, that's exactly the terminology that's used here in a moment. So this child, this son, this king that's coming, the government is going to rest on his shoulders. The rule is going to be his. And here's what his name is going to be. Now, we know, again, this is not literal in the sense that uh, Jesus has ever called these things, uh, no more than he's called Emmanuel. Right? That's not his name. Jesus is his name. And his title is Messiah. So these names are not so much, you know, uh, like my name is Doug and people call me Doug. Nobody's going to go around calling him these things, but they tell us uh, about the one who's coming. Well, he's wonderful counselor. And I said this yesterday, and I need to repeat, counselor here is not therapist. We need to get away from Freudian mindset and, and therapy and self-help and all the, the, the counseling that is taking over, it seems, our, our, the last several generations. Uh, that's not what it's talking about. A counselor here is the planner, the strategist. Think military advisor or someone who comes alongside the king to help him decide the best ways to, uh, to rule and reign over his kingdom. In, in our day, you might think of the president's cabinet. It's that kind of thing. Now, in this case, he's not coming to counsel someone else. He's not coming to, to advise someone of a higher rank than him on strategy and plans. But he, he's the, uh, the embodiment of that counsel. And he's the perfect planner. And the, and the word wonderful here is something probably closer to supernatural. So this one who is coming is the son of David, which makes you think of Solomon. And by the way, the, the name Solomon is a form of the word shalom, which is peace, which we'll see in a moment. This one's called the Prince of Peace, right? So the, Solomon was the great son of David, who led the kingdom of Israel into its golden age of un, uh, unparalleled prosperity. Under Solomon's reign and rule, uh, Israel prospered and thrived. We talked about this a lot. If you were with us back uh, at the end of last year when we went through Ecclesiastes, we talked a lot about Solomon as, he, as we looked at his, uh, his writing there in Ecclesiastes. Uh, well, here the son of David is going to be like Solomon. He's going to rule with amazing supernatural planning and, and counseling and strategy. Right? That's Jesus. And he is mighty God. Remember Emmanuel, God with us? This one is God. 
So it shouldn't have surprised anybody when, when the New Testament authors call Jesus and refer to Jesus as God. Once you're convinced that he's Messiah, you should have known, oh, Isaiah said he would be God. He's going to be called God and mighty God. Again, uh, mighty, almighty, powerful, communicating the strength in ruling and reigning. He has all the power. He is strong to overcome all of his enemies and, and build his kingdom. He'll be called eternal father. Now, a father certainly carries with it uh, authority. So we see uh, kingly rule and authority all through these names. But father, we tend to think more of as, as care and concern and provision, those kind of things. And he's going to be the eternal one, everlasting provider and nurturer. That's what a good father does in addition to being the head of his, his children, right? And he's going to be the prince of peace. Again, tying him to Solomon in, in verbally here, peace, the shalom. He's, he's going to be the prince who brings shalom to his people and brings blessing and, and favor and prosperity. That's what this one is going to do. So I started with a question, and let me just throw it in here as a hypothetical, especially since uh, <laughs> no one can follow me live here, so you're not going to be able to respond. Uh, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus in his reigning and ruling right now is acting as the supernatural strategist and planner? the omnipotent God, the, the everlasting nurturer and provider and caregiver for his people and, and, and the king, the prince who's, who's bringing shalom, bringing favor, bringing prosperity to us. It's easy in a, today, on July 1st, 2022, where there's a lot of things you can look at and say, oh, the, the, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And there's a lot of biblical, especially eschatological views that see things that way. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that the gospel says, you know, you, you put your faith in Jesus and you, you get saved from your sins. And now you just got to hang on and survive until he comes back. And in between, the world is just spiraling into great darkness. I, 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 I'm just not convinced that that's what the Bible says. When you think about it, think about so many things that are blessings right now. Life expectancy is increasing. We are ruling and subduing the earth. I'm sitting in a very comfortable chair in a very comfortable room in a, a a house that is not a mansion by the most wealthy of people's standards, but compared to what the vast majority of humanity has lived in forever, it's a mansion compared to that. Uh, when you think about the power, the, the processing power in this phone compared to the ability of, of uh, laborers, all generations. We have machines that can do 
the, the work of a thousand men. That's why I don't have to go plow a field because there are machines that enable farmers to do the work of a thousand men and it frees me to spend my time doing other things like talking to you and, and technology allows me to talk to you all over the world <laughs> when it works. <laughs> That's funny. Like the Lord knew what I was going to be uh, talking on today and he's like, oh yeah, do you still believe it when, <laughs> when YouTube is not working and Facebook's not working and nothing is happening? Of course, now that I think about it, if neither Facebook nor YouTube are working, that does make me think maybe it's my uh, my modem. Hmm. Well, I hope that's not the case, which I should have restarted. Anyway, uh, think of all that we're doing. Diseases are, are, are we're continuing to to find solutions for them. There's a lot of good things happening in the world. I, look what happened last week, right? Roe v. Wade being overturned. There's so many good things happening. We have to see them and see them. We have to see Roe v. Wade as a blessing from King Jesus on his people and for the whole world. And talk about a wonderful supernatural strategist who plans things beyond our comprehension. We would have never guessed that a primary instrument, maybe the primary instrument in overturning Roe v. Wade would have been Donald Trump. That's not how I would have done it. It's not how you would have done it, I'm guessing. But we have to realize Donald Trump was significant in the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. I put that in the category of supernatural planning and counseling. This is Jesus. This is what he's doing. And we should rejoice and be glad in all that he's doing. And we should have hope for the future because of verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Now let those words settle in. Read, read that carefully. His government, when this child is born which was 2,000 years ago, give or take, right? That's when he takes on the government on his shoulders. His government is going to increase. That's what it says. And is going to increase without end. But not only is his government going to increase, but shalom is going to increase. Peace is going to increase without end. That's what it says. So if your if your view of things says he he brings salvation but he's not actually conquering his enemies not actually bringing shalom and peace to the world you have to explain this you have to explain this somehow and and I know some would say you know the Amil folks would say he's doing it in our hearts as Christians and that's true and maybe the peace is simply Christians and, and it's not, it has nothing to do with the rest of our lives. But when we start piling all of these predictions together, it sure seems to me like it goes beyond just my personal experience as a Christian. These seem to be bigger than that. Uh, it says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace 
on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, that's to establish his kingdom, and to uphold it with what? Justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. These terms, justice and righteousness, those are are kingdom kinds of words. Those are political words. Those are um, societal words. I, I, I have a hard time thinking how justice, that justice is a, again, is a word that has to do with, well, we, we think of the social justice, right? Doing the right thing on behalf of people. Um, justice is sort of the, almost the principle behind decisions that a, a governor makes. And then righteousness is maybe more of the character of the governor. So here's this king sitting on a throne and he's going to rule over the throne. and He's going to establish his throne by doing what is right because he himself is righteous. That's the, that's the idea here. And, and I don't know. It, it just is difficult for me to reduce this the fulfillment to my experience as an individual believer or to think that the world is going to continue to clamp down on the church as an expression of Jesus justly ruling over his church with righteousness and allowing the darkness to overcome us. So again, I'm, as I've said to you many times through the series, I'm thinking through all of this out loud myself to kind of steer us in some directions of, of pondering. Haven't drawn a lot of conclusions on all this, but uh, there's still, this raises some issues for me on the traditional pre-mill and ah-mill views of things. And I don't, I don't want to get too wrapped around those labels at all, so uh, don't assume too much about any of that. The point is, I, what I see here is there's reason for optimism. We've seen optimism. The world is, I think, a better place in many ways than it was 2,000 years ago. I see peace, um, shalom. Now, there's not, there's still plenty of wars going on and still lots of negativity. So we're long ways from worldwide peace, but I, I can see the potential for it and, and greater shalom as we go. He says, from then on and evermore. Without a gap here of thousands of years where it gets worse. I, I don't know. And then it says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God is jealous. The Lord is jealous. That's where the word zeal comes from. He's, ze- he's jealous for his people, jealous for his son who's on the throne, and he's at work accomplishing it. That's how I see it. I don't know all the implications of it. I don't know all the nuances, and, and we still have way more scripture to compare it to before we draw too hard of, uh, of lines on what all this means. But for my money, I'm optimistic about our future and uh, the meaning even before Jesus returns. So think about that. You know, we, we uh, well, our time is up. I'm going to, I'm going to stop there, especially since none of you are with me. Have a great weekend. Celebrate Monday. I want to encourage you to celebrate the Lord's goodness here in the U.S. for our freedoms. I know at times it it seems like our freedoms are being infringed upon, and and they are, but we have seen 
some amazing things just in the last week from the Supreme Court. And there's reason to think that uh, we can build on that and bring back greater freedom and thank the Lord for what he has done and what he is doing in the U.S. So celebrate, enjoy it, and uh, we will have, Lord willing, the opportunity to come back again on Tuesday and continue with our look at Isaiah. Have a great one. God bless.